Hey, I'm Mason King, host of the IBJ Podcast. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you about the newest podcast from IBJ Media called Off the Record with the Indiana 250. In each episode, IBJ Media CEO Nate Feldman talks with a different leader on the Indiana 250 list of the state's most influential leaders. They discuss their vision for Indiana's future, their experiences in business, and their advice for other aspiring entrepreneurs. New episodes are released on select Thursdays. So go subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you can never miss an episode. Just search the Indiana 250 off the record. Thanks. This is the IBJ podcast for the week of October 16th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm Leslie Weidenbetter in this week for Mason King. I recently attended Mickey's Camp, a sort of corporate retreat that raises money for local not-for-profit organizations and was founded by IBJ Media co-owner Mickey Maurer. While there, I attended a session led by Peter Dunn, who you might know best as Pete the Planner and a personal finance columnist for IBJ. He talked about money and emotions, and he explained four money personalities. I asked Pete to join me on the podcast this week to share some of what he talked about. Here's our conversation. Pete, I'm so glad to chat with you today. Leslie, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this. I'm not saying I'm looking forward to Mason not being here. Let's let's not go there, but I am excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you too. And actually what I wanted to do was talk a little bit um, about the topic that you spoke about at Mickey's camp. So I, w- I go to Mickey's camp most years. I talk about politics when I'm there. I do a session on politics. You came and did a session this year about basically money and emotions. Is that a fair way to to represent what you talked about? Correct. I attracted dozens and dozens of people into wood, the woods, and then I trapped them indoors to talk to them about psychology and money. Well, I thought it was fantastic. I was able to use it to identify sort of my own money personality through it and my husband's which made me think differently about our conversations, which I think was part of your goal. Yeah. You know, there, there's this, there's work done around this area of study by a gentleman named Dr. Brad Klontz. And he talks about there are four innate money scripts. Some of them uh, really develop through your adolescence and it's your view of money and your relationship with it. And Leslie, to your point, Yes, it's nice to learn about ourselves, but it's also learn interesting to learn about the others we share finances with and how those natural money scripts can create conflict, they can create agreement. And so uh, today we're going to put voice to those. We're going to name those different money personalities, give some statements that... Um, that are consistent with that type of personality. And then the hope is when people get done listening to this, uh, number one, they're going to want you to host more shows. Number two, of course, course. number two, they're going to say, oh, well, this is why I don't get along with so-and-so in relation to money. All right. Well, let's get started. Start telling us about these money personalities, as I'm calling them. All right. So we're going to begin with this concept of money vigilance, money vigilance. Uh, so I'm going to give a couple statements here. And if you are money vigilant, as you hear these, you'll go, yeah, 
Yeah, pretty much. And, and a fun way, I, I like making up scoring systems. You know, that's always a fun thing to do. What I would do is as we read through these to score which one you really are for all of the statements, score yourself from one to five, five being, yeah, I really agree with that. And one being, I don't agree with that at all. And so of the four different money personalities, once I go through the statements, you should be able to evaluate which one you are the most. Those are the rules. Let's get started. Money vigilance. Okay. I, I'm going to tell you though, I did, I listened at Mickey's camp, but I'm going to actually do the scoring as okay. we Let's do that. Okay. So money vigilance is the first score. It's out of a possible 20, because I'm going to give you four statements. Each is worth up to five points. Uh, this is like a game show, Leslie. This is a dream come true. I love it. I should have on a sequins jacket. I always wanted to be either on The Price is Right or to host The Price is Right. And to be honest, there's recording of me somewhere telling people to come on down that they're the oh next contestant. Oh my gosh, I got to find yeah. that. All right, statement number one. You should not tell others how much money you have or make. You should not tell others how much money you have or make. Like if you agree with this, you're giving yourself a five. If you're like, oh, I don't really give a rip, it's a one. Okay. Statement number two, money should be saved, not spent. Money should be saved, not spent. Statement number three, it is important to save for a rainy day. It's important to save for a rainy day. And finally, in the money vigilance category, I would be a nervous wreck if I did not have money saved for an emergency. Okay. Okay. All right. So now that is money vigilant. And what would you expect somebody who's money vigilant to end up with? What kind of score here? Uh, definitely uh, 15 to 20 Okay, is, is probably. And again, what you're going to find is you can be multiple. Uh, there's four scripts. You're probably higher in two of them and lower in the other two. Uh, and so what I love to do is, yeah, let's get the scores. And then once we figure out what people are, we'll go back and talk about what are the pros of being money vigilant and what are the cons of being money vigilant? Is that fair? Absolutely. Make up the rules as we go. I love this. Okay. So next one is money worship. Money worship. By the way, uh, Leslie, I hate the title of that one. It makes me feel gross. Are you saying basically if someone ends up scoring high on this, they should not be offended by the title? Yes being someone who scores high on this, that is true. Uh, uh, and again, it is, uh, it will become abundantly clear here in a little bit. Um, we, we will see. Okay. So here are the statements score them one to five as to how much you, you agree with them. Uh, the first statement of money worship, things would get better if I had more money. Ugh. Statement number two, it is hard to be poor and be happy. It is hard to be poor and be happy. Okay. Money is power. Money is power. Okay. Finally, money buys freedom. Money buys freedom. See what I mean by like money worship yes. being like a, a gross name for something that you're like, okay. Well, yes, I do see that. Well, wait till you hear like the pros and cons of each one, because as you go through them, I'm like, okay, okay. It gets even more enlightening. Okay, next one's money status, which it's weird because Leslie, for being honest here for a second, uh, money worship and money status don't feel that different, right? Not entitled, not at all. Okay, so the phrases will be a little different. And then once we get into the pros and cons, you'll see that they're pretty wildly different. 
Okay. Statement number one, if you agree with this uh, very much, it'd be a five. If you don't agree with this very much, it'd be a one. I will not buy something unless it's new. I will not buy something unless it's new. Side note, I'm not a big leftovers guy. You know, I know that's not, it's not pertinent to this conversation. I just feel like I needed to share. Is that, is it a, you mean like in food, you're talking about food. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I eat something one night, I don't want to have it uh, less than 24 hours in, in a lesser version, you know? See, I would actually wouldn't mind living with you then because then I could have all of your leftovers because yeah. I will eat leftovers all day long. No, I can't do it except pizza. Pizza is my only exception, but who has leftover pizza? And do you eat it cold or heat it up? Cold. I'm not no. a Cretan. Statement okay. Number Statement number two. Money is what gives life meaning. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you know. By the way, no judgment. Oh, this is, did I say yet this is a judgment-free zone? Um, you didn't say it quite like that. I think it's good as I'm doing this, as we're going along here. I think it's good to know that. You know, it is. Every, everyone just calm down. We're not getting judged. This is super private. Just you, uh, me, and Leslie. That's all the people that know. That's all right? the people will know. Okay. Number three, your self-worth equals your net worth. And finally, number four, rich people have no reason to be unhappy. Okay. All right. So that's money status. So far, we've covered uh, money vigilance, money worship, money status, and now we're on to money avoidant. You know the rules. If you if you agree with this, it's a five. If you're eh, not so much, it's a one. Uh, anywhere on that scale. Rich people are greedy. If you agree with that a lot, you'd be a five. If you kind of agree, it's a three. If you don't agree at all, it's a one. It is hard to be rich and be a good person. The next one, the rich take their money for granted. And finally, you cannot be rich and trust what people want from you. Hmm. Okay. So go ahead and add up your totals in each of the categories. Okay. Okay. I did not end up where I was expecting. Well, that makes for a good game show. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Welcome back to the IBJ podcast. We're talking with Peter Dunn about identifying and working with your money personality. Where, where, where shall we begin? Do you just want to start from the top and go money uh, vigilant and to talk about the pros and cons? Uh, let's do it. Okay. Let's say you scored money vigilant. And by the way, uh, one of your co-hosts today scored a high in money vigilance. That's me. Uh, so I, I scored higher on money vigilant than I expected, but I, I think I can explain that later. So, okay. It's fair. The pros of this, you are in fact vigilant. I mean, uh, words and their connotations, right? So some people may view vigilance as uh, not so great. Uh, I love that as a pro. I am in fact vigilant. Uh, you are watchful. And you are alert, like you are you are aware of what's going on. Now, here are the cons of being money vigilant. You might consider yourself to be distrustful of others. 
you might find that you suffer from a lot of anxiety. And then you are unnecessarily wary and cynical uh, around finances from time to time and cynical and wary of others. Um, Is that cynical and wary of spending or just cynical and wary of just money, period? um, I I think you're unnecessarily wary about spending money, right? You're like, ah, this isn't going to be a great idea. And and you you over-index for everything. Okay. If you're cheap, are you in this category? I, you didn't use that word, but I, but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna ask. Potentially, I, I think so. I, I think, you know, can you ever assign an appropriateness to anxiety? Uh, some people suffer from financial anxiety, and and it manifests itself by being cheap. Others do it by um, just unnecessarily worrying. But I, I think it's fair. I think you could say uh, cheapness. Could be frugality, maybe a better scrabble word, frugality. Yeah. All right. Money worship. This is where (laughs) your your, your beloved co-host also happens to be in the money worship category. You know what? That's where I scored the highest. And I have to tell you, if you, I did not expect that at all. Wait until you hear the pros and cons, because I think you're going to feel seen. Okay. I know you and I know what's about to happen. Pro number one. It means you're hardworking. I mean, you just work. I'm going to totally embrace that. Okay. It's true. And your colleagues think as much. Number two is you're charitable. You understand the power of money and you understand the power of giving money. Fair enough. That sounds, yeah, this is sounding better. Yeah. Okay. Number three is people would view you as outwardly successful, right? Interesting. The cons are... Almost more telling than the pros. I got to be honest. Um, and when I saw, when I sort of came across this idea for the first time and, and, and looked through my own lens at it, the first one hit me pretty hard. So uh, stand by. Hope you're sitting down. On number one, you're a workaholic. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, yes, fair enough. We won't even need to phone a friend on that one. No, you know what I mean. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast would probably be in that category as well. I'm just guessing. I mean, they are listening to a business podcast right now. So, right. Okay. Yes. Number two, con. And I have to admit, this one is not one that I associate with that much. Tendency to hoard. It oh, can be to hoard money or things. Yes. I will. I'm not going to spend my computer around so you can see that that could be the case sometimes. Yes. Look, got it. Remember, Leslie, we hit the no judgment clause. No earlier. judgment. Yep. No judgment. And this one's fascinating to me, vulnerable to overspending. I I can overspend with the best of them. I just get caught up and I'm like, I deserve whatever it is I'm about to do. All right. So there's money worship. Now let's look at the difference between money worship and money status. One of the pros, one of the, the, the good qualities of someone who has a money status driven personality is they are output driven financially look at what I have, you know, like look at my car, look at my home, look at my handbag. I almost said purse, but again, I'm, I'm uh, hip these days. So I say handbag. Here's another one. They're often very successful. Okay. I can see that very driven to, uh, to acquire the things that have status. And then here's where the nuance gets a little strange. Cons, risk of overspending. 
because that output, because there's some material yes. aspect to it, they're like, you know what, I'm going to get uncomfortable here, which then plays into the final one, which is excessive risk taking. Well, that is probably a good reason I didn't end up in that category. But I got to say, I'll bet you a lot of people who are listening to our podcast, not necessarily because they're trying to achieve status, but I bet we've got some risk takers here listening. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So I have a colleague who uh, has a master's degree in in um, basically financial therapy, behavioral finance. And what's interesting about the status and worship overlap is that let's say you and I are in a, a relationship in which we share money, and uh, you're worship driven and I'm status driven. Guess what? Both of us may overspend. And both of us are often successful. That's the Venn diagram. That's, right? That's super interesting. Yeah. And so yet we theoretically view the other person's perspective as wrong, right? Or antithetical to our own beliefs. So yeah. it, that's where it, when you share finances with someone, you start looking through the lens of, well, let's stop worrying about how we're different. Let's start seeing what shared concerns we have. It gets pretty interesting. Okay. Money avoidant, pros, charitable. Pro number two, can be frugal or financially responsible. The cons, often financially anxious, less in tune with their financial reality. And yes, I did air quotes, less in tune with their financial reality. So if you want to go back to, well, what's the overlap of money vigilance and money avoidance? Oddly enough, both groups suffer from financial anxiety and both struggle with financial reality. So probably in different ways, maybe. Totally. And and again, just think of just, just the words vigilant and avoidant are in such conflict with each other. You take a, a, a couple that shares money, and you got you know, one person who's vigilant. It's like, hey, this bill's coming out. This person, the other person's like, ah, don't worry about it. And you can just see the chaos ensue. So uh, nobody wants for this podcast to become all about me. Uh, or, or please do, but I am going, but I am going to, I'm just going to share a little bit because I think it, it's a little bit interesting, at least as we talk further. I actually scored the high on money worship, which I, I know you said no judgment here, but and I scored high on them vigilance. But I will say that when we discussed this at Mickey's camp, I had put myself in the avoidant category. Now, when you read some of those things today, I definitely don't believe that rich people are greedy. I don't think that at all. I don't think several of those things, but when I, I think when I hear avoidant, um, I am a mon- anxious money person and I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to deal with money. And I've had to put a bunch of things in place in my life to deal with that. And so sure. I've become fairly money vigilant, but only because I had to recognize how bad I was at all of it. Yeah, without being the expert that Dr. Klontz is, who again is sort of the the godfather of all this, I, I would here's my armchair take on that: that you are naturally money avoidant, and y- you have purposefully tried to shift your personality. Um, and I, I would argue it's still a work in progress, right? It, it's all the time. Yeah, and fortunately, I have a a money vigilant husband. Sure. So that's helpful. It, it does because the, the weird thing is, that let's say that you're money avoidant, which I think naturally you are money avoidant, and you try to recruit your husband into money avoidance. 
well, that's probably not a good recipe, you know? Absolutely not. The other interesting lens here is to think about the people who raised you and and what theirs might be. And especially if two people raised you, who, who did you line up with? And I find this is where you just want to sit back with a with a nice glass of whatever you like to drink at night and just sort of think through these things and talk about it with a, with a trusted person. And um, it's insightful for sure. And so Pete, tell us about where you end up here. Well, I'm uh, money vigilant as you would hope. I mean, you don't, you don't want to hear me uh, flap my gums so much on this podcast if I wasn't money vigilant. And then unfortunately, just based on the title, I don't love it, but money worship, um, I, I hate the title, but here's, I'll just hit the phrases. Things would get better if I had more money. And, and it's not that I, <laughs> for me, it's, I trust my ability to do the good things with that money, right? Even if it's to give it away, it is hard to be poor and be happy. I line up with that one, not as strong. I'm not a five because I don't believe that to be true. But if I focus on the word hard, if I say, is it difficult to be poor and happy? Uh, without being too altruistic and and too optimistic, yeah, I think it is probably difficult, right? Money is power. Hey, man, we're political season, Leslie. You know this more than anybody. Yeah, that uh, one I gave a five. I knew you would. That was easy. And then money buys freedom. You know, I have to say, while I agree with that, it feels kind of like an old school phrase, right? Yeah, but so, it does. It does buy. It certainly buys some freedom. I'm a, I'm convinced that P. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm convinced that like people are in a quest to not have to care, right? right. Like it, it's sort of a weird thing. You you bust your hump. You're purposeful. You're vigilant to earn the right to not be vigilant. Is that what we're doing? I like to think of it, Pete, as secure. Sure. To have yeah. to you're you're vigilant to earn the right to feel secure, so that you don't so it doesn't have to be in every day thought process. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if you ever, I'm sure you did because most people did at the time read the, was it the love languages book or whatever? Yes. You remember the first time you read it or, or, or heard of the concept and it was validating, right? It was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. I think I, I'd love, I'd love in a perfect world again for, for people to, to feel that way here, but also to know that let's say you're money avoidant and you've come to the conclusion like you did, Leslie, that you have to get your financial uh, uh, life in order. And it's a little aggressive, but you, you want to care more. No, for the sure, for sure. Yeah. You That's yeah. exactly what it felt like. Yeah. The, the weird thing was, is the best path forward for that isn't to start with budgeting. It, it's to really take inventory of what you're good at, what you're not good at, where there are risks and where are there opportunities. You know, the classic SWOT analysis, that's the that's the best way to move someone from money avoidant to money vigilant. But here's what our, our, our financial culture has taught you, that if you are struggling with money, you need a budget and you need a budget right now. And if you do that, you're going to burn out so fast if you're money avoidant. And that's why, at least here at Your Money Line, when we help people, we don't start with a budget if they're money avoidant because it ain't going to work. I was so fascinated by this discussion at Mickey's camp. And so I'd like to, I'd like to stay on it for a while. And I don't know how many of the folks who listen to the podcast would fall into the money avoidant, but it's probably more than we think you would probably have a better sense having worked with folks. My money avoidance was uh, less about getting myself into trouble 
uh, I never got myself into financial trouble, but it was more about like just not paying enough attention to, to be planning. I was not a good planner. Um, and you're right. I would have struggled with the budget. So what, if you're, if you're not going to give someone a budget, how would, how, what would you tell a person who's money avoidant? How would you help them get started in dealing with the cons that come along with that? I think part of being avoidant is you don't want to not only look at the bad, but you're not even willing to look at the good. Yes. And so I think it's acknowledging like what's going well. It's like, okay, well, I've got a steady job. We have an emergency fund and uh, uh, we didn't lose a lot of money in the last downturn of the market. And and so if you can use those as building blocks to to gain confidence, then, then that's important because here's the thing, people, and this is my opinion, okay? I think sometimes people try to build confidence in avoidance. They, they try to say, by not looking, I'm gaining confidence in my ability to execute on this plan. Whereas you need to shift your confidence based on vigilance and actual data. It's the fear of data that makes someone avoidant. And you can't be confident around the fear of data, right? Absolutely. So give us give us some first steps. I mean, I can say that one, you know, one of the blessings to me as a person who really doesn't like to talk about money very much is how much you can do automatically. So really early on, you know, automatic transfers to my 401k into savings accounts and automatic payments from accounts that I've figured out how much money needs to be in. Are, are those the kinds of things that a person who's money avoidant can can jump into? Yeah, automation is huge. It's just really huge. Um, I also, uh, if you've ever read my column before, which turns out you have, I have, uh, I, I reference calendars a lot. I, I just like, it's a weird thing about me. I, I love time and I love everything about time. And I love this idea that your calendar is an amazing financial planning tool. So Leslie, what that means in this context is pick the fourth Sunday of every month, whatever, and just say, this is the time I'm choosing to care 1130 AM to 12, 15 PM. I care in those 45 minutes. And I I think it's about confidence building. It's about sort of taking the the sting out of this. And then I also like, again, this is 2023 heading to 2024. I, I think we have to just be a little bit more grace giving to ourselves. And I think just acknowledging some of these statements that might sting about ourselves. I think there's power in that, right? It's accepting what might be true and then trying to understand your relationship with what might feel like a negative quality. I think one of the things that I've learned from you uh, over the years, you've been doing columns for us and podcasts is, and this is going to sound like a small thing, but it's been a really big deal uh, to me and in my relationship. And it, it talks about that. You're talking about the calendar reminded me of it is this idea that it's hard to have a spontaneous conversation about money. And so I, I, it's occurring to me that especially with someone who's avoidant, when your partner comes home and says, hey, I want to talk about X, it's a very overwhelming and anxiety producing moment to think that you're about to sit down and talk about money. And I remember that you had said, why don't you mention that you'd like to talk about money and then say, how about if we do it at this time? gives the other person time to prepare mentally for that conversation. I, I talk about money all day long. I mean, I, I really do. Uh, I, well, I mean, I, I run an organization, but I, it's still around money. 
if I go home and Mrs. Planner and I find ourselves in a spontaneous money conversation, I'm repulsed by it, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, ah, not now. I can't. But if she were to say, hey, this weekend, can we take a few minutes to do this? I can opt into that. It's, it's about allowing someone to opt in, you know. Which again, last thing anyone needs around here is me giving marriage advice, right? It was, it was See, but it very much is a relationship thing more than it is even a money thing. It's about, like you said, opting in. It's about making the decision that you have a choice in what you're going to talk about and when you're going to talk about it. Yeah. And it's a weird note maybe to end on. I don't know. It's for you to say, but I, I've always had this weird thing as I think about my grandparents and my parents in how my grandma's and maybe my mom's financial perspective perspective was dampened culturally. And I like, I, I don't want to say I take that personally. I, I view it as so unfortunate and, and, and it, like it didn't do those household finances any better by lessening the opinion and perspective of those women. And especially in relation to my grandma, who was a successful business owner, the stability that she brought, if culturally her viewpoint would have been as equal in the 1950s and 60s as my grandfather's, how much easier life would have been for their marriage? I, I don't know why I think about that a lot, but I, I tend to. That's interesting. Yeah. Pete, thank you so much for chatting. This is really helpful. I learned more hearing it a second time. So thank you. My pleasure. It's good to be with you. Good to be with you too. Thanks again to Pete. You can check out his personal finance columns at ibj.com. And before you go, I'd like to draw your attention to this week's paper, especially if you're interested in the election, which is now just a few weeks away. Early voting has started. And so if you live in Indianapolis, you might want to take a look at reporter Taylor Wooten's stories about incumbent Mayor Joe Hogsett and Republican challenger Jefferson Shreve. Plus, in this week's issue of Forefront, the candidates for mayor in Carmel, Republican Sue Finkham and Democrat Miles Nelson, write about their visions for the growing city. And Daniel Bradley talks with incoming Zionsville Mayor John Stair, a former TV news anchor who does not have an opponent in the general election. Plus, print subscribers will have a copy of Indiana Lawyer's first-ever Diversity in Law Awards publication, which honors attorneys and judges who are helping to diversify the legal profession. You can also see the honorees at theindianalawyer.com. And go to ibj.com to see all the latest in Central Indiana business news. Thanks for joining us. Mason King will be back next week.